Welcome to the Church on the Rock podcast. It is our prayer that this message brings hope and encouragement into your life as you go about your week. Thanks for tuning in. So this week we hit this awakening series on passion killers, okay? And not just, uh, we kind of have a different spin, and I love the spin that Brian took this year with it of not just identifying how to awaken passion or what's in you or having this spiritual awakening, but what's leeching your pursuit of God from you? What is taking away your pursuit and your fire for God? What is killing your passion for God? And last week, you guys hit the top three. And this is kind of um, our big idea for this today and last week is this. Um, this comes from a real uh, a little southern preacher. You probably don't know him. He's, he said this. He said, maintaining passionate fire for God in your life is not automatic. It's a choice and must be approached with intentionality. Quote Brian Garfield. Okay? That's what he said last week, and that's what we're bringing again today, is that it takes intentionality. Stovall Weems says this, Passion in my relationship with God is the evidence of authentic affection for him. Genuine spiritual passion comes from our hearts, but it manifests itself in our emotions and lifestyle. Passion for God comes out of your heart, and it manifests itself in how you live. And so just even right now today, I was trying to evaluate, where's my passion for God? How is it manifesting itself? How is it coming out? How is it being lived out in my life? Last week, we went through the first three. The first one, we're doing a brief recap, and then we're jumping right into the last three today. But brief recap, if you were not here or you're downstairs or something last week, was number one passion killer was an um, unbalanced schedule. Unbalanced schedule. You're either working way, way too much, or you're working way, way not enough. Number two was an unused talent. And the big thought that I kind of pulled from this when Brian was talking was that our job is not a means to fulfill us. Our job is a way we support our family, use our talents. Maybe it's part of our calling and stuff, but our job is never a way to just fulfill the void in our heart. God's the void in our heart. That, and he, our time in relationship with him is what fills that. And with that, God gave us all spiritual gifts to use. And so unused talent, wasted talent, not taking good stewardship of that talent can be a passion killer for the Lord. If God called you to be a leader, but you're just blending in to the crowd, then you're going to feel unused. I just read today that Moses, when God first commissioned Moses to go and call everybody out of the land of Egypt, God said, I want you to go. And Moses said, but I'm not a good speaker. But God said, I made you to be a leader. Now go. And Moses was one of the most powerful leaders of all time. Come on. Number three was unconfessed or unresolved sin. And when I heard that one from Brian, I was like, man, that, one's a, that one kills passion like nothing else. How can we expect to come to God when we hide what is not of God inside of us? God, there's no evil, no sin, nothing bad in God. And so when we come to God, how can we expect to keep a passionate fire for him? if we're hiding something or keeping it buried below that's not of God. 
Can we pray as we, uh, right before we just get into the next couple of uh, Passion Kills today. Father, thank you, God, for your people. Thank you, God, for the opportunity to just come and present your word today. Thank you, God, for our leader, Brian, God, and just leading us down this road and uh, just kicking it off last week, Father. Lord, I really pray, God, that this is our best year yet. I pray 2019, God, is not just our best year, but our best year spiritually, Father. I pray through spiritual breakthrough this year in this congregation and in this church, God, that we have not yet seen, Father. I pray that every day, God, we walk with you, God, and that you would just continue to change and change us into more and more into your image, Father. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Okay, we're going to move pretty fast today. Guys, this stuff is so good. It could have been like six weeks, okay? But we're cramming into two. And so my little disclaimer today is that whatever resounds with you, you're like, mm, that one really hit me where it hurts, okay? I want you to grab onto that and then study it. Okay, if conflict was one for you, go just Google some Bible verses on how do I, or not conflict, sorry, sin, unconfessed sin. If if sin was that, go and just Google, how do I confess sin? How do I deal with sin in my life? Or just come to one somebody, come to your mentors around you. Don't just let it just be like, "Mm, okay, that one hit me, that one hurt, and let it go. Grab it and really look into it because there's so much in each one of these. But number four is unhealthy and unresolved conflict. Unhealthy and unresolved conflict. Nothing will drain you quite so bad as conflict, okay? When I was thinking about this, when I was preparing, I kind of got the picture of a balloon, okay? And uh, not like when a balloon pops, it was like filled with air. It was kind of like when, like, uh, as a kid or whatever, maybe as an adult, if you're me, you take the end and you kind of make it go... You know what I'm talking about? Raise your hand if you know what I'm talking about. Okay, you guys do. Okay, all right. Okay, you know what I'm talking about. When you take the balloon, you take the skinny end, and you just kind of let the air just kind of fizzle out, okay? And that's my mind when I thought of conflict. If conflict, unresolved, unhealthy conflict, kind of drains what fills you up, drains your passion, drains what's getting you going, what's uh, keeping you alive. It just takes all the steam right out of you. Um... I had an example of this the very first week of the fast, okay? I told you I'm really just—last year was a little tiring to me. And this fast, along with my prayers, I was just asking, God, kind of revitalize me, fill me, kind of just—I just need a kind of a kickstart, a refresh on my soul and on my spirit. Give me the rest I need. Give me just a new fire, kind of. And with that, I've been really trying hard to have the right attitude to receive what I'm asking for. Okay, and so early on the fast two weeks ago now, um, I really uh, just trying to have that positive attitude, waking up early, having great devotions, having a nice, healthy vegetable breakfast, putting away my cinnamon rolls and pop tarts and stuff. Right. I just had a great breakfast, got the kids away on time, got to work on time, had a great just uh, time at work with good staff meeting, you know, just good time around my peers and stuff. God was just giving me revelation in my studies for the youth group got home. I've been trying to cut out like the radio noise on my drives and just being praying and being more just sitting kind of. And God, prepare me when I come home. Some of my hardest two hours every day is the two hours between dinner time and bedtime for my kids. That's just like when I'm spent and I'm just tired. I just want to get them to bed. So I'm like, God, please just give me, help me to be a present father 
Help me to just be getting, get on the floor, play with my kids, take care of them, be a nice husband. Just give me the power, the strength to do all this well. So I have all this great intentionality. I come home, and it's kind of, uh, it, it was a war zone, okay? It was just one of those days, okay? And, like, my, my son, Noble, is just screaming on the floor, ah! Okay, his diaper's full. My wife's mid, like, cleaning up a potty accident for my other daughter. Like, my daughter and she, and Nora's just screaming, and there's pee on the floor, and dinner's overflowing. And I just kind of snap. I just move right into, like, I got to clean this up, I'm going to clean this up, and put this here, stop crying, and, like, go get flush, okay, and, like, oh, the spring, okay, and just running and running and running. And I took all of those good intentions, and I reacted poorly to Amy. And like, it's her fault, okay? Like, it's her fault that the kids are going crazy, okay? It's just one of those days. And instead of giving grace and love and being supportive, I just kind of snap and like, you got to call me and tell me if this is what I'm walking into. I just can't. And just in three minutes, (laughs) stop it. In three minutes, I undid 10 hours of intentionality. In three-minute conversation, I undid a whole day's worth of seeking God and coming to him. Conflict will drain you like nothing else, okay? But here's the thing, catch this, is that I said unhealthy conflict or unresolved conflict drains you. Is passion killer number four. Not passion killer number four is just conflict in itself. I am so pro-conflict, okay? This is the thing. You've heard Justin say that he's all about discipleship. You know Brian's heart is all about spreading the gospel and getting into people's hearts. I am pro-conflict, okay? And here's the thing, though. Here's the thing. I always ran away from conflict. Fight or flight symptom, I, 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 I flew, okay? I was out of there. But here's the thing. When I realized and was taught and trained that resolved conflict— always leads to deeper relationship, I was on board. And I made that a practice for my life when I was like 18 and a half to doesn't, uh, probably unhealthily, I probably swing a little too far of like, did you look at me weird? What's up? What's our, de- what's our beef, man? Let's talk. Let's pray. Come on. I love you. And I was just too far. Okay. So I'm not talking about healthy resolve conflict. Resolve conflict always leads to a deeper relationship. If, if that's you, if you're looking for that, I would encourage you to, um, I preached a message here, this little boy's back, to uh, February 17th of 2017. There's a message called Better Together, number three. Uh, that's completely about walking through biblical conflict. So if that's something you're, like, struggling with this week or something, go to that. Look at that in the archive. Or um, just study Matthew 18, 15 through 17. Uh, Matthew 18, 15 through 17, and that'll kind of give you some steps or some guidance to go through. But today, really, we're talking about unresolved or unhealthy conflict. That's the passion killer. And some of you guys are walking through this. Some of you guys are in situations that there is unavoidable conflict. Maybe at work or a spouse or a family member or kids or a neighbor, co-worker. Maybe it's just an acquaintance, but you are in unavoidable conflict. Um, when I was thinking about this, I got this picture of uh, somebody. I just got this picture of you being standing here with your hands tied behind your back and just like a boxer or like an angry person just pounding and pounding and pounding your face. If you, know what, if you are in a place of unresolved or um, 
unhealthy conflict, you know what I'm talking about. You cannot escape it. You go to work and that divisive coworker is there and they're ready to gunning for you. That person that has the grudge is there and they're gunning for you. For me, I feel like it's that snowman. He just intentionally leaves more snow in front of my driveway. He's just gunning for me. Okay. Right. I'm like, Hey, just kind of scoop it in. It'll take five seconds. Mm-mm, he avoids me. Okay. I don't know what it is for you, but maybe you have unhealthy or unavoidable unresolved conflict in your life. Here's why it's bad, though. If you go to uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 23, it says this. So if you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. Unresolved, unhealthy conflict actually affects your worship with God. Unresolved, unhealthy conflict actually prohibits you from being at the temple and giving your sacrifice. And for us right now, it's like, God, I would go and resolve that, but it's an uncomfortable situation. I'm just going to let it, I'm just going to eat the feelings. No, go resolve it. God, um, I can't this week because I got to go to church. Don't go to church. Go take that person out for breakfast and resolve your conflicts. God, I can't do it right now. Don't butt. Don't butt around it. Just go do it. Just go do it. Leave your sacrifice at the altar. Go and reconcile, then come back. God calls us to finish the conflict. And so here's the thing, though. I already mentioned that some of you guys are in places where you are, it's unavoidable. It, maybe you've done everything. You've kind of cleared your heart. You tried to walk towards resolution, but that person is actually walking the opposite way, trying to run away from you, and they're just doing everything they can to start and keep you in conflict. I want to warn you of three things, okay? I want to warn you of three passion-killing emotional byproducts of unhealthy or unresolved conflict. Everybody want to try to say that? No, I'm just kidding. Let's not say that, Okay. The first one is this. These are things that when you are in situations of unresolved conflict or unhealthy conflict, these emotions can spring forth to, to really pollute your soul, to sap the passion from you. The first is this, retaliation. Retaliation is a reaction. When somebody says something hurtful to you and all of a sudden you just say something right back and you didn't even mean it, you didn't really think about it, but you just uh, retaliated back because we have a fight or flight instinct. I have a friend that uh, when her baby was young, um, she was nursing the baby and the baby just got his teeth and the baby bit down really hard and my friend went, ow! And she slapped her baby. And then she immediately started crying because she slapped her baby. Okay? It was, a, it was a reaction. It was a retaliation. She didn't mean it. She didn't think about it. It was just a, ugh! Okay? Sometimes you and me are like that, where we might not mean to, but we just retaliate because that kind of hurt. I would encourage you to prayerfully know, if that's your tendency, to prayerfully, prayerfully, before you get to that place of constant conflict, to pray through that and ask God to give you grace in it. Um... 1 Peter 3, 9, 11 says this, Don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. That is what God has called you to do. He will grant you his blessing. For the scriptures say, If you want to enjoy life and see many happy days, keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn away from evil and do good. Search for peace and work to maintain it. 1 Thessalonians 5.15 says, See that no one pays back evil for evil, but always try to do good to each other and to all people. 
Retaliation is a hard one, but you're called to work to maintain it. You're called to try and to pay back an evil with a blessing. But God promises his blessing will come in replace of that. You can do it. Next one is revenge. And revenge is different from retaliation because revenge is plotted out, thought out. This is a way that, this isn't a fight or flight. This isn't a reaction. This is a, I'm so hurt that I'm going to get back at you and make you hurt and pay for what you've done for me. Romans 12, 18 says this, Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Verse 20, instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their head. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. Let it go. Let it go. Don't try to get your revenge, but give what God's telling you to is. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. Retaliation, revenge, and the last one is this. Bitterness or prolonged anger. Ephesians 4, 26, 27 says, And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. For anger gives a foothold to the devil. I'm going to skip to verse 31. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God through Christ has forgiven you. Last week, Brian highlighted our one great passion, the one person that came to Jesus and said, what am I, what am I supposed to do? What, what's the great commandment? He said what? Love God with everything, basically. Love God with everything you have. Love him with physically, emotionally, spiritually, uh, just everything you have. Love God. The second is like this. Love your neighbor, right? How can we love our neighbor if we're being controlled or operating out of retaliation? How can we control, love our neighbor if we are plotting how to get back at them for how they're hurting us? How can we love our neighbor if at, when every time we talk to them, we bring up past hurt of a bitter heart? How can we love our neighbor if every time we interact with them, we're talking out of a place that we've given Satan a foothold in our heart? This is not an easy one. This is a really hard one. Because this one requires a little bit of sacrifice. This one requires taking a punch. This one requires just kind of sucking it up and bearing it out. And so we're coming to the section of every section we're going to have a what to do. Okay? What to do? What do I do in this situation? And the first thing to do, if you are an unhealthy or unresolved conflict, if you're an unresolved conflict, go resolve it. But if you are in a healthy conflict or a conflict that is not of your choosing, it's being forced upon you, the first thing is release control. We're people that love control. We love to put everything in control. A lot of our sin nature is because we can just control it. I can control, I can't control my life, but I can control how much chocolate I eat, and I'm going to eat this whole bar of chocolate, right? Or maybe the whole case of chocolate, okay? I can control things, so that's how I feel like I can get a grip around my world. It's really, really hard to release control. 
It's really, really hard to say, God, do something here, because I'm trying to do everything I can. So number one, release control. Number two, forgive them. Two and, two and three are kind of combined together. Three is love them. And you cannot love them if you've not forgiven them. You cannot love somebody that's punching you and tearing you down. And every time you see them, they're just trying to tear and start conflict and fights with you. You cannot love them if you have not forgiven them. Brian wrote this when he uh, was talking to me about this sermon. And I thought it was so good is that remember that forgiveness is not a feeling. It's an action and a choice. You can choose to forgive even if it doesn't feel like you've forgiven. Every time you hear that name, that coworker, that spouse, that friend, or whoever that is, and it brings up a little bit of anger, revenge, bitterness, you forgive again. And you choose to forgive again. And you choose to forgive again. And then number three, you show them the love that Christ has shown you. That one, when I was thinking about this, is that post-salvation for me, I have messed up so many times. I shared one already of just reacting poorly when I came home and how I responded to my wife. I could share a lot more, but I don't want to because I don't want you to stop listening to the message, okay? I've just, I, there's lots of things that I've done, okay? But when I stop to think about how every time Christ has forgiven me and there for me and waiting for me with open arms, I believe that that's how we are to be to the world. Every time you go to work and you go into that conflict situation, you're called to just forgive and to show love to them because you've been showing love. Because you know who your father is. Maybe they don't. Maybe they do. and Maybe they're just living out of sin. But you are called to be right before God and do it to the best of your ability. Um, I want to add one more that I didn't think about until we were doing worship. Um, I think it was the second or third song, Braden, but it was talking about uh, this is how I fight my battle, right? This is how I fight my battle, right? And create an environment where God can work. Saturate yourself in worship music. Saturate your car. Saturate your cubicle and just reminders of God's promises to give you strength. Saturate yourself in God's presence. Do as best you can to put God's presence right with you and walking with you. And let that be your shield when you come and the people are trying to just tear you down and trying to get into a fight and trying to jab you in front of the boss to get ahead. Or maybe it is your boss and they're just super controlling and just tearing you. And every day they tell you how you're worthless. Just put God first and get his environment as best as you can around you. To recap, what do we do in situations of um, unresolved, unhealthy conflict? We release control. Let God be God. Forgive them, love them, and create a God environment. I have this one verse, just this idea of let them off the hook and put them onto God's hook. Hebrews 10.31 says, It's a terrible thing to fall in the hands of a living God. If you are right before God and you can live right before God, let God deal with them. As hard as that is, even when you are the person that's receiving the punishment and the pain, let God be God and let them into his hands. And it's a lot worse to be in his hands in a bad way than it is that we to take revenge, to retaliate, or to be bitter. 
all those things are only going to hurt you. They're not actually going to get you even with that person. Amen. Number five, I told you we're kind of going to be going fast. Just if any of these things are resounding with you, grab onto them, hold them, write your notes, and just promise me you'll study them on your own and deal with these. Passion number killer number five, an unsupported life. Sometimes we lose passion for God because we lose community with other people who are passionate about God. Okay? Um, growing up, I could think about this. It was, I could tell you the pattern. Every uh, summer when I was in high school, I would go to this Christian uh, camp, summer camp. I would go and uh, um, volunteer parts of my summer, and I'd just go as a farmhand or something. I would go, you know, cut grass and do construction projects and stuff like that. But when I was there on camp, they force you to leave everything. So you're not watching any TV for a couple weeks. You're not playing any video games. You can't listen to music. You're hanging out, living in bunks with these other guys. They're all here. You're forced to go to chapel, and you have Bible study and mentors and all this good stuff. And so we still had fun. You know, we would, like, chase possums and kick them with sticks and stuff. And we would, like, break into the barn at night and ride the horses and stuff. So we still were having fun and stuff, but we just weren't doing all the bad things I was doing at home, okay? But the pattern was predictable. I would go home and be separated out of this good community of all these people that love Jesus, and they're just there to show that love to students and stuff. And to me, I would go home and I would burn everything, okay? I would take all my trashy movies, and I would take all my M&M CDs at the time, okay? And I would just burn them because I'm like, I don't even want anybody from Goodwill getting these things, okay? And I would burn it and get rid of it and stuff, and I'd be in my devotions and prayer and all these good things. But over time... Out of a support, without a supportive lifestyle in that, and going back to the same kinds of friends and life systems and cycles I was in before I left for camp, eventually all those things just kind of came back. It started with, oh, I'm just going to listen to John Mayer, and then pretty soon, John Mayer, I'm back into Eminem, okay? And pretty soon I'm like, hey, do you want to see this movie? And I said no three times, but on the fourth time I'm going to go and see it. And all these things started drifting back and drifting back. And here's the predictable pattern, is that you will experience some kind of distraction or setback or trial or just grievance, okay? You experience something of, my boss is, oh, man, it's our busy season, and I'm, I have to do, I have to work six days a week right now, and I'm just not going to make it to church or a death in the family, or a trying situation, or some kind of setback, or maybe you're just mad at God, or something happens that sets you back a little bit. And from that setback, instead of embracing and walking closer to God, you start to distance yourself. And the distance begins with physical, and then it becomes mental, and becomes spiritual. Okay, and by distance I say, well, I'm just not going to go to church today. Or I'm not going to just, you know, I'm not really called to serving kids anymore, Justin. I'm not going to be there anymore today. Or I'm not going to make it to small group this week, and then it's next week. And all of a sudden you're, set, you're giving yourself physical distance. But with physical distance comes mental distance. And all of a sudden, the people that you were close to and seeing every week, serving coffee out of here, the people that you saw right there, you're not seeing them anymore. And I've heard this from people who say, I'm just going to stop going to church and see, how, see if anybody actually cares. How long does it take for them to call me to see if they miss me? And you start becoming vindictive and just get separated. And eventually you wake up one day and realize that you're isolated and lonely and far, not just from people, but from God. And you have this hard and calloused heart. Like, how did this happen? How did I get here? And it all started with a choice to unengage, to step back, 
to not push in when those things come forward. Hebrews 10, 24, 25 says this. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Oh, what was that? Let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another. Don't neglect it. Don't let the distractions, don't let all the things that... um, excuses persuade you to unengage from your community. We were designed from the very beginning to be uh, relational beings. God, I believe, in the very first chapters of Genesis creates order. He's not just telling a story. He creates order. And he separates time and he separates space and he creates seasons and puts the earth on its axis and he creates order. And part of that order, I believe, is that God saw man and said it's not good. To be alone. I should freely. <laughs> God saw man said, it's not good. No, it's not what I'm saying. The Lord said, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make a suitable helper for him. And remember whose image we're made in? We're made in God's image. And what kind of God is God? He's three gods in one, right? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is the God that walks with his people. When they're coming out of Israel, he literally went with them. He led them as a pillar of flame at night, and a cloud during the day. He walked with his people. And now that Christ has resurrected and gone to heaven, he has sent something so much better, his Holy Spirit, to indwell us, to be with us every second, every day of our lives. He's a God that desires relationship, and we've been built in his image, which means that you are built for relationship as well. Ecclesiastes 4, 9-12 through 12 says, Two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm. I tell my wife this one all the time. But how can you be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. I want to give you one story, then we're moving to the doo-doos, okay? I had a really junky motorcycle in college. I mean, real junky, okay? And uh, this thing would stop working all the time when it, it would just not start. And all the time, I would get my friends or get uh, passerbys or um, roommates to come and push me down a hill or uh, hook me up behind their car and pull me or just, if nothing else was around, push me really fast and I'd try to pop the clutch, and if you don't know what popped the clutch is, I don't either, so ask Chad. But basically, basically something happens where the bike goes, and I can start, okay? And this is the thought, <laughs> okay? This is the, I don't know why my vehicles are always breaking down. I can't, I don't know what to do with them, okay? This is the thought. Sometimes you don't have the passion to ride. Sometimes you need to ride somebody else's passion to start your own. Okay, and that's what supported living does. Sometimes you don't have the passion for God, and you're just like, I'm not feeling it. I've fallen today. I've fallen in a really bad place. I'm in the hospital. My dad's in the hospital. There, just things are happening. I'm going through this thing. I'm just trial, and I am just flat on my face. And you need somebody to come and pick you up, stand back to back with you, so that you can conquer. You need someone to come and encourage you as long as today is called today. What to do? What to do? This is what you can do. 
If you're living an unsupported lifestyle, the first place I would say is serve or volunteer. I cannot tell you, where's Isaac? Isaac, raise your hand if you're in here. Is he still doing his hair? Isaac was in here. He just got baptized, okay? Where was it that he found the Lord? Serving. On what? Did you catch it? A missions trip to Lamar, Missouri. When he was ready to walk away from the Lord and on a forced missions trip from his parents, he found Jesus Christ as his personal Savior. I can't tell you the number of times. Some of the best times I've had here is when me and Jeff are hanging out and we're building something or I'm here with somebody else and we're cutting balloons out of the ceiling after an event or we're like pulling straw out of like, where's the straw? We gotta get it all before Sunday. You're like, we have three minutes, three minutes before service. Okay, I can't tell you the number of times the depth of relationship and camaraderie has come out of just serving. So serve, volunteer, get connected. We have like 10 small groups going right now. Go to the Connection Center after service and say, hey, I need a small group. Put me into a small group. And here's the thing. Go to small, they're on the back, they're on the back of your bulletin. No excuses. They're on the back of your bulletin. Go to one of those 10 small groups and you go, and you know what? Here's the thing. If you go and you're like, ah, I just didn't click with these people, try a different one next week. That's okay. Nobody's going to be offended, okay? Well, I won't be offended. They may be offended, but that's on them, okay? Unresolved conflict. Go back to that point in the sermon, <laughs> right? Get involved in a small group, okay? Number three, I would love to see you seek out a disciple, somebody to disciple you or mentor you. I always have tried to prayerfully walk through and say, God, who in my life has gone before, not even who in my life has gone before me, God, who in this season of life can minister and encourage me to be a better Christian? Highlight that person to me and put them in my life. I would encourage you to do that. Meet with them once a week, every other week, and just debrief and say, here's where I messed up. Here's my questions. How do I pray like you pray? How do I do life like this? How would you handle this? Encourage me, disciple me, help me to be the kind of Christian you're being. Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ, right? And the last one is this. And if all those ones sound overwhelming to you and hard to you, this one is easy, but we make it hard. Share a meal. I love Jesus' ministry, man, okay? If he wasn't out fasting or being alone with God, he was whining and dining the people, okay? He's like, hey, did you pull up your Yelp? Yeah, I saw this new pizza place. Let's go try it out. Mod pizza? Let's go this weekend, okay? Zacchaeus, what you doing? Let's go eat. You got food? Good. Okay, we're going to Zacchaeus' house, everybody. Let's come and eat. Hey, what are you guys doing? Oh, you want to drink? Okay, let's hang out and just drink and have some good time and talk and eat, okay? Jesus was always eating and drinking with people. Well, I think we should do that, too. You know, let's not make it too let's not make it too complicated here. Just share a meal with somebody. But especially in the season of life where we are right now, it is so hard to get together with people. Hey, what's your schedule look like? Well, I have an opening for thirty-seven minutes three months from now. Does that work for you? No? Okay, let's try next year. Okay. Sometimes you have to push past all of the things. And me and my wife are in this so strongly. We have a seven o'clock bedtime and eight o'clock bedtime. We're grounded at home at nighttime. So how do we do it? Do we open our house? Well, that means we have to clean up our house, which is just exhausting sometimes. And how do we do fight past all the excuses and just share a meal with somebody? Go out after church today, invite them over, invite yourself over. I'm a big proponent of this. Just invite yourself over. You look like you could cook pretty good. I'm coming to your house today, okay? You know, just invite yourself over. I bet they won't say no, okay? Okay, guys, we're going to fly through this last one. 
But this last one is so good, and so don't miss it. Passion killer number six is a malnourished spirit. Passion killer number six is a malnourished spirit. Every day, circumstances are going to try to knock you down. Distractions, disappointments, conflicts, changes, challenges, problems, pressures, frustrations, fears, failures, and fatigue. All these things are going to try to get in between you and your soul and your relationship with God. All these things are going to try to grab your spiritual passion, your fervor for God, and try to take all the life out of it. So what do you do with it? Again, we're going to quote Brian. It says, Maintaining passionate fire for God in your life is not automatic. It's a choice and must be approached with intentionality. I'm going to share one more quick story, and we're going to do the what to do's. Um, when me and Amy first started dating, I didn't have that uh, sweet little coupe you see out there. Okay, I had this awesome Park Avenue Buick. 99, okay? It was sweet, man. Okay, if you don't know what I'm talking about, next time you think there's an old person car, that was my car, okay? As a teenager growing up. And everybody always say that, but I'm like, it's like driving a bed down the highway. It's just so comfortable, man. This thing's awesome. I use it as a work truck. I would haul concrete in the back. I would tools. I had forms coming out of the back of my trunk, and I use that thing for everything. But here's what I loved about it. The front seat had uh, the, the armrest, it went up, okay? And so when I first started da- dating Amy, you know where she sat? Right next to me. And I love that. And I hated driving her car because it didn't have that. And I was like, oh, baby, I don't want to be three inches away from you. I just need you right here because I loved her, okay? Right? But here's the thing. If I did something stupid, which was a lot, and so if I did something, I said something wrong, or maybe I didn't shower after working out or something, do you th- where do you think Amy was sitting? Nope, she was by the window. Put that thing down. Did you ever shower? Okay, right? She was by the window, okay? And when I was thinking about this, I was thinking about this. Who changed their position? Ooh, try again. There's a real question. Who changed their position? Everybody say, Amy. Everybody turn to your person on the left and say, Amy. Everybody turn to the person on the right and say, say, Amy. We're awake, amen. Okay, here's the thing. Amy changed position. God never changes his position from us. He is constant. We are variables. If God is distant from you, and you're like, how do I get back to where I was there? How do I experience the intimacy and the power that I had with God last year, last month? Reverse whatever you did to put yourself in the passenger seat and go back to God because he's not distant. He's as close as he ever was, but we have the ability to choose to walk close or far from him. We have the ability to choose to practice and model a lifestyle that will deepen our relationship or practice and model a lifestyle that will take us further and further from God until we wake up and we feel like, where's God in my life? He's right where you pushed him away. And he's just as accepting. You think I was like, oh, you sat by the window, Amy. This seat's closed for business. No, I was like, come on, baby. Sit right back next to me. And God is saying the same thing. He's saying, come right back. I'm here. I love you. Sit with me. I'm waiting, and I'm waiting, and I'm waiting, right? And he's just going to run over and hug you and say, I'm here. So what to do with that? What do we do with that? The first one is this. 
Just do what you know is right to do. Sometimes we really overthink things, but do what you know is right to do. You probably know the answer. If somebody else came to you and said, hey, I feel distant from God, how do I, get, how do I deepen my intimacy? What would you tell them? Then do what you're telling them to do. Okay? Because it's pretty simple. Pray. Start with prayer. Jesus told us, um, he taught us how to pray. And he showed uh, times where he would wake up early and get away from the crowd. Worship team, you can start coming forward. He would come to the crowd and he would just get away from people and spend that communion time with God. Pray. Number two is get into the word. The word nourishes and strengthens you. Man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Matthew 4, 4. Matthew 6, 11 says, Give us this day our daily bread. Um, this is one I would encourage you with. That was kind of a new thought to me. I was reading something by Dallas Willard, and he said, instead of focusing on your quiet time or beating yourself up for getting a quiet time, spend a season where you're memorizing God's word. And so that if you memorize God's word, you put it in your heart, and every moment of your day becomes a quiet time. And that was like kind of knocked me on me in the face and like, yeah, I don't need to always worry about getting my devotion in or following the Bible app plan. Am I just trying to put God's word in my heart and meditate on it day and night, like the scripture tells me? And lastly is this, spiritual alignment. When you go and get your cars aligned, right? And Chad, you can correct me if I'm wrong, okay? You're going to take your, what's off in alignment is the wheels. And so when they bring in alignment, they bring the wheels in proper alignment so everything gets the right wear on your vehicle, When you're out of alignment, your car starts wearing in weird places. Things start stressing and breaking that weren't supposed to be there. Praying in tongues, praying in the Spirit, spiritually aligns us. First Corinthians fourteen four says this: A person who speaks in tongues strengthens personally, but one who speaks a word of prophecy strengthens the entire church. You've been given the ability to pray to God and that prayer language and that prayer aligns your spirit with God. You don't understand it. You don't know what's going on. You don't, and maybe you don't understand what praying in tongues means. I would encourage you just to come up front and just ask for prayer. Just say, I don't really get that or I, that's always been a weird thing to me. It's not going to be weird, okay? We're not going to be weird or praying over you. But something powerful in Scripture says that the personal prayer strengthens you. It strengthens you. And Brian tells me this all the time. He said, if I haven't prayed, he said, well, he says, I try to intentionally pray every day in tongues, just by myself in my prayer closet to align myself with God's will. Pray, read your Bible. We're going to end with this. C.S. Lewis said, the only thing Christianity cannot be is moderately important. Our passion for God cannot be moderately important in order to live a fulfilling life. It must be of primary importance. Guard your heart above all else, for from it determines the course of your life. Proverbs 4.23 Today, um, 
the, the team's going to play and we're going to sing a song to close out service. But we've just gone through six passion killing, spiritually passion killing vices. And I would ask you just right now is just take a few minutes while we're coming back into a place of worship through song and praise to ask God, God, altar team, you can come forward. God, which one of these do I resound with? Which one of these, God, is the one that's killing me? Which one of these is taking that life and that spirit out of me? Which one of these is sapping my excitement for you, God? And then do three things. Identify it, confess it, and then address it. Identify the area you are feeling, confess it before God, and then address it. Do the proper steps to combat it. If it's conflict, forgive them and love them and let God live. If, let, um, if it's um, an unsupported lifestyle, go right now and figure out how you're going to get plugged in. If it's a malnourished spirit, figure out how you're going to new- Give your soul the nutrients it needs. Can we just all stand right now? The prayer team is going to be open if you'd like that prayer. If you need um, for anything or just even that somebody else help me. I just need a little help. I feel knocked down. I need that passion to be prayed over me. Come forward today. Any one of these guys or Pastor Justin or me will pray for you. If you just need to come and confess and have a moment with the Lord, the altar is always open. Just come forward and kneel and we will leave you alone. But can you, everybody, just hands raised as a sign of humility before Lord. Let's just pray. Lord, we just give you all of this right now, Father. God, the devil is so tricky and wily, God. He is always just trying to find ways to capture and to sneak in, God, and to pull us farther until suddenly we don't even realize that the passion's gone, Lord. Lord, the last two weeks have been all about identifying areas that are leeching life from us, Father. Lord, I pray right now you restore life and restore it twofold. Right now, God, over every person that needs it, God, I pray for healing fire just to be over them, Father. God, I pray for healing passion to be reinstalled, God. I pray for the Holy Spirit right now, Father. Just fall on your congregants and your people, Father. Reignite us. Make us a people, God, of passion. Make us a people, God, that are passionate for you. Lord, give us the spiritual life you desire us to have. For more information and to stay up to date with what's happening in the life of Church on the Rock, please visit us on the web at cotrag.org. Thanks again for tuning in.